The Bruce Hooley Show podcast is brought to you by HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. Creating jobs and restoring dignity one cup at a time. Good coffee doing good. Learn more at HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. Hour number two, Bruce Hooley Show, Answer Network. Love the fact that you guys give me your time. I appreciate it very much. Answer in Dayton is 94.5. You're in Columbus, 98.9. We'll have more from the Matt Walsh documentary on what is a woman because I think the best thing I can do is just let the gender ideologists hang themselves with their own words. When you hear how thin the logic of the transgender movement if you hear the thin wire on which it hangs, you know that it should collapse and that you should not feel bad about telling people, no, this is nonsense. It's nonsense the Carolina Panthers announced that they have now admitted to their cheerleading squad a biological male. It's nonsense that Leah Thomas is a biological man named Will Thomas and swims for the University of Pennsylvania, and wins a national championship. It is nonsense, and by nonsense, I don't mean harmless. I mean it makes no sense. It is evil. It is demented. It is satanic. It is stupid. It is highly, highly disrespectful of women, actual women, for the OHSAA to have a transgender policy, and to be having an all-day seminar in Westerville about how we can be more kind to figuring out how biological boys can play girl sports. I could go on and on and on. But before I do, tonight Columbus City Council will enact measures that will lead to more violence in our city, maybe more murders. They are triggered by the fact that Columbus police during the summer of 2020 tried to quell riots when people would not comply with a police order. Remember that? Do what the cops tell you. Remember that? Quaint notion. So now they're going to further limit an already demoralized police force. If I were a Columbus police officer, what is your motivation to get out of your cruiser? They are doing everything they can to... Film everything you do and demonize everything you do. I have no quarrel with filming everything you do, but the effort to demonize it, to put in the minds of the city that, hey, we're not going to let them use tear gas. We're not going to let them use rubber bullets. We're not going to let them use batons. We're not going to let them do anything to retard riotous behavior. Why would the people perpetrating those actions have any fear of Columbus police? A Columbus police officer is required to do a lot of things. They're not required to die or get beaten in the line of duty so you as a woke Democrat on city council, can feel better about how your law enforcement officers are relating to the public. The problem is not how your law enforcement officers are relating to the public. The problem is your public is breaking the law and police officers are attempting to enforce it. But if I'm them, I wouldn't even attempt to enforce it anymore. Stay in your car. Stay in your car. All you're going to do is get yourself hurt or get yourself fired. And the pearl clutching of the liberals is really something to see. Over the weekend, we had a shooting on Friday night, northeast side. 15-year-old kid ends up dead. Not 18-year-old kid ends up dead. Okay? 
That's a great backdrop to go before city council tonight, Elizabeth Brown, and advocate for taking law enforcement tactics and measures out of the hands of police. Oh, Andrew Ginther holds a big press conference. Oh, we're going to stop this one. We are not going to stand for this. <laughs> well, what are you going to do? Sit and watch it with your popcorn? Because it's going to continue if you don't allow law enforcement officers to, <gasps> yes, enforce the law. And as I said, the pearl clutching is at uh, fever pitch. Here's uh, Theodore Decker, one of the resident wokesters over at the Columbus Dispatch, bemoaning the shooting death, and it is definitely tragic, of a 16-year-old as he rode a scooter on the state house grounds. Well, I'm sure that Broderick Harper was a a wonderful young man to those who knew him. I know nothing bad about Broderick Harper, nor would I suggest there's anything bad about Broderick Harper. What I don't understand is why Broderick Harper matters more than Mackenzie Ridley or Olivia Kurtz or any of the other kids under 20 years old who have died in Columbus while city council, Shannon Harden and Elizabeth Brown and Andrew Ginther and Zach Klein and go through the list have done nothing to stop it except do things that they think will make themselves look better to their voting base, which will allow them to stay in power longer because, you know, their kids aren't getting shot. So Theodore Decker writes this, I've hammered the city and Mayor Andrew Ginther on a regular basis for their glacial response to homicidal violence. I'll point out again that an approach very much like the one laid out last week and was assembled more than 10 years ago by local experts who brought a pilot program to city leaders with a reasonable operational price tag, only to have it rejected for no good reason. And he notes, 10 years ago. And then he complains that the public hearing was open, as it should have been, to the public, and only two residents offered remarks. He says, two! That's some major league apathy right there. Is it major league apathy? Or is it that, unlike Theodore Decker, unlike... Shannon Harden, unlike Elizabeth Brown, unlike unrepentant, unattached to reality Democrats, the public knows that all the posturing at press conferences and the like won't stop the violence. And so why would I waste my time and go to a hearing and talk about how essential it is that the city do something to stop the violence when you know full well the city won't do anything consequential? towards stopping the violence. And you say, well, they were presented a pilot program 10 years ago. Does that maybe at all say to you, you know what? The stuff we tried 10 years ago hasn't worked. So maybe if we want something to work, we should try, I know, revolutionary idea, something different. Maybe we should try something different. Maybe midnight basketball and kumbaya campfires between police officers and the kids in Linden. Maybe that doesn't work. You know what might work? Maybe something we haven't tried before. You know what maybe we haven't tried before? Consequences for action. Consequences for action. Maybe you crack down on gang activity. And you let these kids know that if you steal one car, we're not going to let you out to go steal another car during the day. They had a kid the other day just stole a car. And he wrecked the car, and he got out of the car, and he ran, and he ran to somebody else, a law-abiding citizen, and he stole that car. And then he crashed again, and finally the cops caught him. 
See, you do that when you don't fear what's going to happen to you for stealing the first car. How many how many repeat offenders do we have in our escalating total toward 10,000 car thefts in Columbus? It's no different in Dayton. It's no different in Cincinnati. It's no different in Cleveland. Crime is rampant because there's no consequences. Why? Because in each one of those cities, they're run by Democrats, and Democrats don't believe in consequences. They're propping up what's left of Joe Biden's approval ratings. They clearly, if you approve of what he's doing on the economy, the border, international security, the military, if you approve of that, you obviously don't believe in consequences for action. So, I just think the only way for people to avoid this kind of violence is to pretty much stay in your home or stay out of neighborhoods where it happens. It can happen to you anywhere. It can happen to you anywhere. I attended a luncheon downtown last week. And gave thought to something I never in a million years would have given thought to. Is like, what happens if I am sitting at a light trying to get back on 315 North from Confluence Park? Good luck with that. It'll take you all the way over toward more deeper into downtown, toward town and rich streets. And that's a very bad neighborhood. And that's a neighborhood where gunfire could ring out in the middle of the day and a radio host could get shot or anybody could get shot in that neighborhood because you happen to wander into the crossfire of some drug-related gang activity or human trafficking-related gang activity. It's possible virtually anywhere in this city. It is. And Ginther will continue to posture and pontificate, and nothing will change. And Theodore Decker can write all the columns he wants to write about community apathy or whatever else he wants to blame for it, the fact of the matter is there's one thing that has worked down through time in all cities everywhere, and that is less crime happens when less criminals are on the street. Less crime happens when less criminals are on the street. Oh, but that's not kind. We're not rehabilitating. We're not taking into consideration the societal factors that led to this, that, or that. Do you think that any kid who steals a car is unclear that that's illegal? Do you think that anybody who's selling drugs on a street corner goes, wait, what? Like, like I can't sell drugs? Like, like why not? These crimes are self-evident to the people who are committing them. Now, I will listen to the fact that they feel like they have no hope, and so maybe they resort to that. But repeat offenders offend repeatedly because they're out where they can continue to repeat. So fix that, and you might fix the problem. So we're going to talk about a lot about D-Day in uh, the final two segments of the show today, starting at 1230. But I just wanted to remind you that Uh, One of the things about D-Day that's fascinating is the address that President Franklin Roosevelt gave on June 6th, 1944. June 6th here was after the invasion in Europe, because Europe is, of course, a day ahead of us. And I, I just reflected on an American president giving a national address where he calls upon the country to pray. 
of all the things that have changed in America since the greatest generation saved America and saved the world from tyranny until tyranny sprouted from seeds here and now is the greatest threat to our democracy, not via white extremism, but via the people who want to cancel free speech and want to take away your guns and all those other things that Democrats want to do. It's led to a <laughs> exceedingly uh, laughable Democratic president who actually thought when he took office he could be a modern-day FDR. FDR did a lot of things wrong with managing the Depression, but he captured the moment after Pearl Harbor and on the night after D-Day when he made a national address where he prayed. And his prayer began, my fellow Americans, last night when I spoke with you about the fall of Rome, I knew at the moment the troops of the United States and our allies were crossing the channel in another greater operation. It has come to pass with success thus far. The rest of his prayer included words like these. These men lately have been drawn from the ways of peace, but they fight not for the lust of conquest. They fight to end conquest. They fight to liberate. They fight to let justice arise and tolerance and goodwill among all thy people. They yearn but for the end of battle, for their return to the haven of home. And as I think about a nation then led by a praying president and a nation that prioritized God, and now I see where we are here in the midst of gay pride month where we battle these transgenderism ideological issues. And I was speaking yesterday to a friend whose daughter is doing a mission trip to Uganda. And I was relating to her about how, you know, I've spoken to a doctor from Haiti, and I asked this doctor from Haiti about, do you have gender dysphoria in Haiti? And he, Dr. T, laughed. It's like, no, Haiti, we are worried where our next meal is coming from. Yeah, we have so much prosperity here that we can amuse ourselves get drunk on imaginatory things like well I'm I'm a I'm a I'm a biological girl but I don't feel like a biological girl cuz I'm not getting approval nobody's accepting me and if I switch to saying that I'm a boy then all of a sudden I will be the it girl in school only I'll be the it boy because I'll be dressing like a boy uh played you earlier the Tennessee professor questioned by Matt Walsh about truth and the Tennessee professor said that truth was transphobic, condescending, and rude. Um, this is how the conversation between Matt Walsh and the Tennessee professor concluded. All right, I have a stubborn machine that won't play. Let me try one more time. I guess this all comes back, just, this all comes down to really one question, um, especially women gender and sexuality studies. So so what what is a woman? Why do you ask that question? I just really like to know. What do you think the answer to that question is? Well, I'm I'm asking. That's why I came to a college professor who who's this is your this is what you do. What other kinds of answers have you gotten? 
a lot of like this where you're where you're not answering, and I've gotten a lot of that. So I think it's interesting that you that you say that some of the people you've you've um, interviewed have been um, reluctant to answer it, and I think that has a lot to do with the way the questions that preceded it and the the way that you've conducted yourself in the interview. How have I conducted myself? How do you think you've conducted yourself? You, you, <laughs> you just really don't want to answer the questions, do you? I, I came today very willing and, and enthusiastic about answering questions about women's and gender sexuality studies, which is so the you wanted that to, I do. you wanted to answer questions about women's studies, and so shouldn't the, the first answer you should be able to provide is what exactly is a woman? Well, it's, it, for me, it's, it's actually a really simple answer, and that's a person who identifies as a woman. But what are they identifying as? As a woman. But, but what is that? As a woman. Do you know what a circular definition is? I do. It's sort of like what you're doing right now, where a woman is, is a woman. Because mm-hmm. well, you're seeking what we would call in my field of work an essentialist definition of gender. I think it sounds like you would like me to give you a set of biological or cultural characteristics that are associated with one gender or the other. I'm not seeking any type of definition. I'm just seeking a definition. Yeah, and I gave you one. A circular definition. A ridiculous definition. A definition that continues the ruse that this professor at Tennessee is worth the six-figure salary he has paid to foist nonsense upon impressionable minds, to personify the G.K. Chesterton quote that I recite from time to time here on the show, which is, a nation disintegrates when it ceases to recognize things that are obvious. The sex of a person is obvious from birth. Now with our modern technology, in many cases before birth, via ultrasound. And these kinds of issues permeate our culture because we've lost our focus on what is obvious. Back during World War II, back on the night of D-Day, it was very obvious If young men didn't muster courage and valor and sacrifice their lives in the fight for freedom, we would no longer be the country with freedom, liberty, and justice for all that we were founded to be. Those boys in those boats who sailed over turbulent waters and were instantly met with artillery fire the second the Germans could see them in their sights They weren't confused about what their gender was. They were concerned about the future of their country, something they made bigger than themselves. 